what values can do both for individuals and organizations is to provide a sense of stability, a mm -hmm. sense of, of continuity and, and to be able to cling to something that is timeless and changeless in a world where everything seems to be changing. Welcome to Rise Leaders Radio. I'm your host, Leanne Mallory. As a leadership coach, I work inside organizations and I focus on helping leaders achieve their whole person potential and meaningfully contribute to their organization's mission. With this podcast, I share leadership best practices, developmental approaches, and stories of exemplary leaders. Jerry Magar is the facilitator's facilitator. By that, I mean he is well-known in our community as one of the very best, and you're about to see why. He's just got that right balance of knowledge and leadership, self-deprecating humor, humility, and pragmatism. Jerry's been doing this work with the Fortune 500 for over 25 years and serves as the academic director for several award-winning leadership programs offered by SMU, and that's the Southern Methodist University and their executive education department. He has also taught MBA and undergraduate courses in organization development and change at SMU's Cox School of Business. Finally, Jerry is a prized faculty member for the George W. Bush Institute's Liberty and Leadership Forum, and through them is working with leaders who are committed to bringing about a peaceful transition to democracy and civil society in Myanmar. Organizations hire Jerry to help them up their game specifically in the areas of developing trust, change, and accelerating engagement and more and more on crisis leadership. I have had the pleasure of collaborating with Jerry over the years and also feel super lucky to call him a dear friend. Welcome to the show again, Jerry. Thank you so much. That is the kindest introduction. It <laughs> warms my heart. Thank oh, you for good. That. <laughs> well, it's all true. And I love, I love saying it. So today we're going to be talking about values. And the timing is great, I think. It's the beginning of the year. It's a time when folks are taking stock of all aspects of life, their future, they're setting goals. So it seems like a perfect time. And I know from working with you that you have a really effective and engaging way to help people identify values and then to put them in action. So that's what I want us to do today. But to set some context, I, I want to start with your thoughts about why values are important, why might we want to know what our values are, and how are they practical? So what do you think? Uh, so that first question, why are they important? I, I think now more than ever, when we are living in a world that is just filled with constant turbulence and change, and I, I don't know about you, but... It, it feels sometimes like the earth is crumbling beneath our feet. <laughs> and, and my sense is that what values can do both for individuals and organizations is to provide a sense of stability, a mm -hmm. sense of, of continuity, and, and to be able to cling to something that is timeless and changeless 
in a world where everything seems to be changing. And, and I think what that does is hopefully it translates into how do we make good decisions that uh, we'll look over our shoulder at in the future and uh, be pleased with, but also good decisions to help us feel stable in the midst of instability. So that's one piece of the equation. Yeah. And, and I'd love to explore with you a little bit this feeling of stability. As much as anything, I think it's an internal feeling, even though we feel like the world is coming apart underneath our feet, et cetera. And if values are those things that can ground us, it's a felt sense. It is. Yeah. Of that stability. Yeah. I came across a quote years and years ago, and it's uh, by a man named Bruce Baldwin. And he said this, closing the gap between belief and behavior brings us closer to contentment. Say that again. Closing the gap between belief and behavior brings us closer to contentment. Hmm. I like that. It, it, it's yeah. that sense of alignment of, of walking our talk. Yeah, that's a great, I, I love that phrase too, walking our talk. And, and to me, that whole idea of contentment, it is a felt sense. It is a sense that no matter what's going on in this uh, world out there, if I show up in a way that is congruent, if I show up in a way mm. that is aligned with my values, <clears throat> then I'm, I'm able to have that, that inner peace in the midst of this outer chaos <laughs> sometimes. Yeah. And I think too, that when we feel that inner peace, when we feel that congruency and that alignment, that other people around us also feel it. You know, mm-hmm. we, we can tell, and I think particularly animals and babies are really good at kind of sniffing out when there's a misalignment. Like, I hear what you're saying, but I don't believe your body. Your body and your mm-hmm. words are not in concert with each other. And so it's a resonance thing. And as it human is. beings, we are really built to resonate with each other and to, to be able to feel these things as, as a sense of survival even. Yeah, and in so much of the work that I do is about how do we build trust and influence? And that resonance that you're talking about, it, we're influencing people all day, every day, whether we know it or not, whether we like it or not. Yeah. And so we're either sending them uh, this experience of ourselves that's feeling a little bit unstable or feeling uh, at ill at ease in some way, or we're able to show up in this, this congruence. And certainly walking our talk is an important part of that, but also it's just in our being, how we mm-hmm. show up. Yeah. Yeah. So I want to move into kind of how you go about helping people identify values. And what I, what I like about how you do this is that it's very different from there's a traditional way of doing this where you just have a list of words on a piece of paper and here's, here's yeah. what, here are typical values, you know, circle 30, now whittle that down to 15, now whittle that down to 10. And it's a very um, heady intellectual exercise. And my experience of your way is really different. Now, I don't know if you're ready to go there, but that's where Mm -hmm. I'm hoping that we spend some time on how is it that you help people 
identify. And I'm also curious how many, what do you tell people (laughs) is like the, not the right amount, but a suggested number of values? Yeah, I think that's a great question. And, And to me, it's all about the usefulness of what we identify, right? And so if, it, if there's so many that we're kind of scanning and not able to just reach for those values at, at uh, you know, T minus zero right in the moment, mm. then, then we've kind of missed the mark of the whole purpose. And maybe I can create a little bit of a parallel between organizational value setting and how that should show up. And then uh, applying that, pulling it out of the organizational context and putting it into a personal context. And, Perfect. And, yeah. So, so at its worst, you know, organizations go through a process of uh, maybe a group of execs come into a room and then they go through lots of discussion. They, they end up with a handful of values. And I truly, I've seen all the way from, you know, five to 20 values or something like that. Right. And then more often than not, that's kind of pushed off to a web developer who puts it on the, the front page of their website, and then no one ever thinks about it or talks uh-huh. about it again. And the whole purpose of that should have been that those values inform a decision that is made by every employee out there, real time. What, what happens at two o'clock on a Tuesday afternoon needs to line up with what is on that website or wherever it is, wherever those values reside. And to your point about, uh, I just thought of something when you said walk the talk. Uh, Years ago, I I went to a a seminar that was focused on this very nature of helping organizations walk the talk. The organization is no longer around and that seminar is no longer around, (laughs) but they had a really fun exercise. And the exercise was to take uh, an image of a t-shirt and to think about, you know how companies are so quick to put their slogans and logos on the front of a t-shirt, right? So their idea was, that's all well and good, but the real question is, what do people say when you walk away? And so (laughs) what would be on the back of the t-shirt that reflects reality, right? Oh, I love that. Yeah, and I remember two, uh, two examples that were so great from people in the classroom. I'm sure their companies would not have loved this, but they were, you know, the idea was let's, let's call out the truth. So one of the companies was a, uh, a retailer of some kind. And, and on the front of that T-shirt was, we treat you like family. And as you turn around and look at the back, it said, and my family was, just, was abusive. <laughs> so, <laughs> and another one was a, um, a city, uh, the city government, you know, or the, a city. And um, there's on the front, it said, uh, we are the pulse of the city. And you saw on the back of the t-shirt, a flat line. (laughs) (laughs) That's such a great, I mean, what a fun way though, to think about like with every engagement, every client engagement, every employee interaction, if you thought about watching their back as they walk through the door, what would be on there in terms of how that interaction, what, how you treated them. And I think that is, it's brilliant because it's fun um, and it's truthful. You know, it could be something yeah. that could be really actionable. Oh, I love that. Well, and it's, there is kind of this visceral reaction to <laughs> the, the truth, the reality of all of that. Right? Yeah. yeah. Oops. And I want to do that one over. <laughs> yeah. And for me, I, I took that, as I say, I mean, this was over 20 years ago that I, I went through that exercise 
And it stuck with me all these years because it really did prompt me to think about, all right, I'm in a program focused on organizational values and how do we enliven organizational values uh, day to day. But what about me? Like, what would be the truth of what would mm. the front of my t-shirt say and what would people say as I walked away from them, what would be on the back? And, and you know, I'd love to say that the, the back would be a mirror image of the front, but there are moments when that just would not be the, the case. And that's yeah. the whole reason to go through this exercise. Yeah, that's what your uh, grown kids are for. They tell you what the back of the t-shirt <laughs> says. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Yeah, yeah, unfiltered, right? Right. So, so I think that's, that's this idea then of how do I uh, activate the value that I identify for myself? And these, to your point, this handful of values. And I think two to three is really ideal. Anything more than that, and it gets into kind of a, a wish list and a laundry list. And, hmm. you know, to go back to your point about the typical approach that's used, so for me, and I've used that approach many times and it, you know, it's okay, but it provides kind of a limited experience because what I found is it's almost like shopping, right? If, if I'm shopping, then I can be drawn to a really interesting something. And, and then I'm a sucker for somebody. I'll, I'll try that on and the salesperson will come up and tell me, oh, that looks great. And like my ego is so uh, fragile and needy. It's like, oh my God, great, I'll buy it. And <laughs> And then I get home with that thing and I'm thinking, what on earth? <laughs> what was I thinking? That's not yeah. me. It's not me. And I, I'm never going to wear that. And it hangs in the closet until, you know, the next goodwill run. <laughs> and, and I think that's what happens sometimes with this circling is that we end up uh, circling some things that look alluring or look uh, like we should circle them. And then we end up lugging this value around kind of mm. uh, ultimately judging ourselves for not living up to it or not activating it in a way that we, we thought was appropriate. But, you know, the reality is maybe that was my mom's value. Maybe that was something from, you know, my childhood that I've, I've uh, outgrown or, or really have a different authentic identity around. Yeah, I love that. The image of just lugging. I mean, it's like baggage, so by doing the activity that way, it's like we've we've chosen something that we're then is going to be baggage for us. Or sometimes we don't know we've chosen it. And I love what you're saying here about that we grow up. And because I had this same, you know, example with myself where I was doing a values exercise and then kind of the follow-up, which was, you know, kind of reflecting on how am I living my values. And I kept like not doing that one. And yeah. I realized actually that's not my value. That's a value that I was raised with. It's a great value. It's just not mine. And so yeah. like, okay, I'll just, you know, kind of wash my hands of that one and not feel like I have to lug it around. I love that. I love how you positioned that as lugging it because that's what it felt like. And yeah. then the shame and judgment that comes when I don't live up to it. Oh, I, I'm, I'm so glad you used that word shame because that, for me too, I, early in the process of me going through this exercise and, and I would annually go through this exercise and then annually, mm -hmm. uh, you know, beat myself up for why is that one not being activated the way that you say it, it, you want it to be. And then it took a lot of becoming okay with just the authenticity of what the values that I actually was living 
doesn't mean that if you're not living it, you shouldn't. Let me be clear about that, right? Yeah. <laughs> but but uh, there's there's accountability, and then there's just you know kind of shame and judgment and. Right. We don't need any more of that. But I think it's a good kind of reckoning always, you know, like, am I living up to those things that I really do care about? And if I'm, if I'm not living up to some things, maybe it's not true for me and I can just get rid of that and be done with it. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And so, so the, the alternative to those circling of the pages uh, or the, the values on the page there's a process I learned from a guy named Nick Craig. He was the co-author of uh, the book, The True North Handbook. And a lot of people will probably remember the book called True North mm-hmm. by Bill George. And, um, and so what I loved about this is that it looks at reality rather than hope right, or wish or possibility. And it looks at stories. So we tell stories about our real lived experience. And and the, the process would be for us to look at a couple of stories when we were absolutely at our best. I mean, we were knocking it out of the park. And I, I like this, this phrase called effortless effort. Mm. And you, you, you certainly know that phrase. Yeah, it's like a flow, almost like a flow state. Perfect. And, and so when we're in that flow state and we're really knocking it out of the park, what we know is that we're, we're tapping into two things. We're tapping into capability but we're also tapping into our values because it's, it's got life breathed into it because we value that moment. We value what we're up to. I'm capable of a lot of stuff by the time I'm 54 years old in my career, right? But, but just because I'm capable of it doesn't mean that I'm enlivened by it. There's a lot of stuff that I would, I'll take one for the team and do X, Y, or Z, but to only right now look at those moments in our life that we were really not only high performing, but performing in this effortless effort, because that shows that there's a value breathing life into that. Mm. So you look at times in your life. So you're basically looking at your own experiences rather than a piece of paper. And you're thinking, when have I performed at my best? When have I felt most alive? When have I felt congruent to use the word uh, you used earlier? Mm-hmm. You know, that time where I feel really congruent. And so we, we just call up those and then, and then what do we do with that? Yeah. So, so ideally you would have a couple of people in your life that you'd be telling these stories to, and everybody would kind of be committed to playing the game. Right. <laughs> and, and the stories are brief, like five minutes worth of stories. And so imagine that there's another person, you, you, we could do it with one other person, but it's interesting to have a couple of, of uh, perspectives. Okay. And so I would tell you two of those stories They take about five minutes each, and you'd be listening deeply for what were the values. Even I may not even say the word, but it will show up somehow in the story, the value that I was living into will show up. And so you're listening for that and you're okay. just silently taking some notes. And, um, and then we move to the second piece of this, which is a couple more stories, but now these stories are kind of on the other side of the continuum. These are stories of when I was at my deepest, darkest moments. These are the most challenging times in my life. And what was that like to navigate? What, what was I struggling with? What did I do to get out of that? How did that resolve itself? And these are 
five minutes or less stories. And you're sitting there listening deeply, taking some notes. And so imagine the end of this, uh, you know, some, somewhere less than 20 minutes or so of me telling stories, you and the other person just take a few minutes and reflect back to me what you've heard. And do we, when you're speaking of your experiences, when you're telling your stories, are we asking you some questions or is it totally silent? Okay. Yeah, complete. That's a great question. I'm glad you asked that. Yeah. Their their job is to sit there and listen silently Mm, and just take notes and to deeply listen. So, so we're not getting into, well, tell me more about your aunt Betty on that or whatever it is. We're really deeply listening to, uh, the shared experience, because uh-huh. what ends up coming out of my mouth is really what's most important, not the missing piece for the other person on the end. Right. The coach in me wants to be asking questions, you know? <laughs> yes. So, yeah. And so then I listen. So if we're doing this together and I've got someone else uh, magically mm-hmm. sitting next to me, we're listening yeah. to you, we're both taking notes. And then after we hear your stories, we both reflect back to you what we think we heard mm-hmm. and we don't confer with each other or do no, you don't. That's a great. Yeah. Okay. So we don't confer with each other. We just read it back to you. And two things to chime in on this, you don't confer. And yet what is so fascinating nine times out of 10, many times the same words are coming out of both of your mouth. Okay. And that's really magic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and another thing. And so my job, uh, is to write down what I hear you saying. Now, you're gonna give me those sheets of paper anyway, but what's interesting is what I write down and what I don't write down. And I'm gonna give you my own, the, the first time I did this, the two people who were sharing their insights, both kept using the word courage over and over again. There was a filter somehow that I never wrote that word down that is not a word that in a million years I would ever put in my own mouth to refer to me, right? As just, a value, as something. As, as a value, yeah. as, a, okay. as a description of how I was enacting my approach to navigating that situation. I never would have used the word courage. And yet, both of them said, no, you, listen to us. We're, we're holding a mirror up for how you navigated both the best of moments and the worst of moments. And the more and more and more I thought about that, I had to redefine the word courage because for me, it was like battlefield courage, you know, or something, something very physical and very kind of just a, a different mindset. Mm-hmm. And what they were saying is, no, no, you were, you were willing to step in to situations that others were not. You were willing to have conversations that others were not. And the courage that you kind of screwed up to be willing to do that was evident over and over and over again. And the fact that two people were unrelentingly telling me that had me emerge from that exercise with a deeper understanding of who I was. And what I love about this is that all these years later, I hold on to that value in a very, very personal and much deeper way than I think I would have had I ever circled Number one, I never would have circled that to begin with. And number two, had I, it would have felt inauthentic. I um, was not aware, and this makes perfect sense, that there's this filter 
you know, so they were saying something to you that you didn't see in yourself for whatever reason. Um, and so had you not done this exercise in this way, yeah. you might not have ever really like, come face to face. It's really, it really is like parting a veil or tearing something down. Oh, great that's, image. Yeah. That's, that's what I, that that's what I saw is that there was just this, yeah. you know, this something in front of you and now it's clean and clear and you're living with it. So talk about that too. So you say to this day, it's something that you really hold dearly to how in a practical sense has this made a difference to you? How do you use it? Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Well, there's a, a connection that goes way back to my days with uh, the Covey organization. And, you know, we used to talk about planning and, and we had a, a process and I'm sure they still do. And I still use this practice on a weekly basis. I sit down and I look at the week ahead and I think about, you know, not just the intellectual organization of what's going on, but I look at it through the lens of my values. And I ask the question, how, how are you going to activate these values next week? There's two for me. The other one is, is uh, compassion, by the way. And so courage and compassion. I look through the lens into the next week and a couple of things emerge there. One possibility is that I already have meetings where I need to enact that in a, in a deeper way. There is not a week that goes by <laughs> that I don't have something on my calendar that of courage, especially because I mean, I like to be liked. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I like, I like for people to, to not feel conflict with me and all of that kind of stuff hmm. that comes from being compassionate, right? These two things, uh, in some ways, for me anyway, courage and compassion are uh, important to help balance each other out. Yeah, they're like poles, and they're a both and, not an either or. Aren't they? Yes. Yeah, exactly. yeah. Huh. And, and I never thought about that when, you know, they were sharing them back. But again, compassion was one of their words that they gave me as well. That one, I didn't have too much of a hard time with. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I got that. <laughs> yeah, but, <laughs> I'll be that. Yeah. But, but now as I look ahead... What I see is time and time again, where I have a meeting with a client, let's say, and um, I've got to up my courage to tell them the hard truth about what's going on and the cost associated or the risk associated with them uh, not changing their behavior or changing a mindset. And, and that can feel risky sometimes. This year, I will tell you, you know, my, my work, your work has been changed dramatically by COVID. And so, you know, it's easy for me to say, if I have a client, I just want to keep them happy. Well, right. Yeah. <laughs> is that aligned with your values? I need to be willing to risk that client so that I can do what's right for them and tell them the truth, of course, in a compassionate way, but to tell them the truth as well as uh, you know, maintain that business. And if I, that business goes away because I told them the truth, then I need to be okay with that. You know, I'm, I'm thinking so much here about um, feedback, giving people feedback and how, when we're too afraid, typically what we think is that it's best for them not to give them this tough feedback. That's the yeah. story that we tell ourselves. Yeah. It's a story that lets us off the hook 
But in that moment, we're more concerned with ourself and being liked and our own comfort than we are for the long-term good, whether it's uh, a coworker, someone in your life, but that um, that's hard. I mean, that's hard for, for all of us. And again, it's a, it's a probably a, based in survival, but for sure. it's striking me that, that that balance of courage and compassion will show up in, in so many ways. Yeah, it, it really does. And, and for me, I don't have to work as hard with the compassion side, but that courage piece that <laughs> I know um, showed up when I was at my deepest, darkest moments and shows up when I'm at my best. So I know it's real. It's not a fantasy that I'm trying to strive for. I still have to be mindful, purposeful, and deliberate about putting it in my life. And that's why I like looking ahead at the week and asking a question. There will actually be, if you looked at my calendar, there's a symbol that I have. (laughs) So that when that meeting pops up for me, i take a moment and I ground myself in that value. And then I step into that meeting, occupying a different level of commitment to courage than I would have had I just blindly walked into the meeting and here I am and let's get this done. Yeah. And you can plan for it too. It seems like you Mm -hmm. can actually think about, you know, being really intentional about how you want that meeting to go um, ahead of time and uh, yeah. And preparing yourself long-term for that. Hmm. Absolutely. And, and of course, what also happens in that planning process is there may be moments when I need to add something to my calendar, right? And I've more often than not, this, this comes in the form of a family <laughs> <laughs> member, right? Um, you know, I say compassion is so easy for me, but the, the truth is, you know, there are times when I'm overly judgmental uh, toward a family member about this thing or that thing, and or I see them struggling. And if I really want to live a life that's congruent with being compassionate, I, I, I've reached out. I've made, I've made dinner plans with family members. I've made phone calls. I've done extra texts just to activate the value of compassion, uh, particularly, not sometimes courage. By the way, courage came up big time this week, uh, excuse me, uh, this past holiday season, as people are trying to make decisions about what to do and what not to do with uh, COVID. And, and so, you know, boy, I love my family and I want them to love me back. And yet there were some hard decisions that were, took a lot of courage. To- yeah, yeah. And it becomes uh, like, if no one says it, everybody, uh, might participate in the gatherings or whatever, feeling everyone feeling tentative, but no one having the courage to say, yeah, I don't think this was a good idea. Let's, yeah, let's do something right. else. Yeah. Yeah. So you use it, Jerry, to look forward. And I can imagine looking, reflect too. Do you kind of look on the back week too and say, how sure. did I do? Yeah. And that's another practice that I think is a great one. And after years and years of uh, so for me, it's about a Sunday evening looking forward. And uh, particularly at that time, I will also look backward and see how things went, both in my family life and in my business life. And there'll be some times when, you know, the, the cold hard truth is I chickened <laughs> out, right? <laughs> or, or I said I was going to make that call or, and I didn't do it. And so here's a chance to recommit. 
Uh huh. Uh huh. Make a make amends or recommit or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. And Matt, you're playing a big game, Leanne, with that make amends. <laughs> I love that. That's a, that's another practice to me that is really powerful. I um, there'll be things uh, for for me. The idea of making amends. Can we can we play around with that first? Yeah. 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 Sounds like I I touched into something there. <laughs> <laughs> well, for me, it's so much more powerful than a silent recommitment. And I, I think it's so easy for us to kind of quietly in our own head go, mm, didn't do that. I'll, I mean, I'll give you an example of, of a real situation uh, that, that happened a while back. But quick backstory is uh, years and years ago, I lost a very, very, very dear friend. And it was very sudden. And I was stunned by the silence around me. I was stunned by the number of people who knew about this extraordinary loss in my life and said nothing. And, it, and then I realized, oh, you were one of those people, though. And when other people lost folks, mm. you said nothing. But I made a commitment to myself that from that moment forward, when there was someone around me that, who, that had suffered loss, I would not be one of the people who silently stood in the corner, I would step in and offer compassion and, and, uh, and, and step into the discomfort of that, because that's the reason most people right. don't. It's not that they're bad people, it's that they don't know how to do it effectively, or, or they're fearful, or who knows what. So for me, here's my big commitment. This is, this is me, by the way, activating both courage and compassion. Right, yeah, I hear that. So now, I mean, it wasn't I don't even know, just months after this new commitment of mine, the woman who office next door to me had almost an identical kind of loss, abrupt loss suddenly occurred. And I show up, you know, engaging with her saying, I'm so sorry. And I do all the things that I said I was going to do. And I said, look, I know what it's like because recently that happened to me and I'm going to just check in with you occasionally. And if it's too much, then say, I'm fine, back off. But I just want you to know, I'm going to pop my head in your door and check mm. in. And then guess what I did? I proceeded to get busy and not check in. Oh. And so I could quietly say, well, I'll do better next time and leave that mess there. Or I could make the amends that you're talking about. And so for me, it's about not very personally, it is, I strive to not do better next time, but rather to make it right this time. Mm. So I had to go into her office about two weeks later and apologize for making a commitment to her to check in and then go an MIA on her because I got busy with travel mm. and everything else. That was a remarkable moment of two things. One, restoring the relationship with her, but also a lesson for me to take these values seriously and mm. to take the commitment seriously. So that's why I got excited when you said make amends because it's different. Well, I'm, I'm so struck right now, Jerry, I, I had a conversation with someone earlier this week that used the term, he used the term that we're living in a, a rude world. It's a hard, you know, like things are rude right now. He's a very, it's this amazing guy and I just think that what you did, you know, just that, I mean, that was extreme vulnerability and connection, I think. And 
we seem to have less and less of that or, and on the flip side, just that one act that you did took up for a lot of inaction in the world on other people's parts. We don't have to move mountains. I mean, I'm, I'm sure that that felt really difficult, but the impact that I'm sure that made was, you know, the impact was way outsized of the effort. It, and, it, it and, really we, and it feels like we need more of that. And, yeah. you know, it's, but we have to have screw up our courage and our commitment to our values. And if we just really, I think we're more clear what we cared about and then really took action didn't sweep it under the rugs, but took action that uh, would be living in a kinder, gentler, more mm-hmm. connected world. And I, I think that's so true. And, and at the heart of that is this inner peace that we were talking about. Mm-hmm. It, it all comes right back to that, that this contentment that w- what was happening in my experience was I had all this residue I was dragging along with me because I'd made a commitment to live in a particular way, an out loud commitment and a private commitment. And then I'd blown it uh, with her. And so to get rid of all that residue in the relationship and residue in my uh, own Hmm. mind and heart, if you will, was really what helped me get that contentment. It comes right back to that quote, closing the gap between belief and behavior brings us closer to contentment. Yeah, it feels like a karmic cleansing or something, you know, like getting, (laughs) you know, like cleaning all of that up. And I love your language around, um, you know, luggage and residue, because it's all things that we can imagine. And that we feel like for me, like my, it feels like I just have a lot of nervous energy when I'm out of alignment. And sometimes I don't know what it is. But if I'll get quiet for a little bit and and really do, it can be looking forward or looking back that I'm mm-hmm. either anxious about something coming up that maybe I haven't prepared for as well. And what I mean, like, like a courageous conversation, like I know I need to have mm-hmm. this in the future or something in the past where I need to make some restitution or make some amends. Like my body knows it, even if it's not in my consciousness all the time. Yeah. But if I don't get quiet for a little bit, I'll miss it. And I'll walk around with all of that stuff. And then, and then I'll see you one day and you'll think something's off with Leanne. You know, she's kind of edgy and, yeah. you know, fidgety. <laughs> she's twitching. What's going she's on? Twitching. Yeah. You have my permission to ask about my values. Are you walking your talk? There I'm wondering. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I want to say one other thing. So, you know, people have some you know, uh, very typical values, like we say family or we say whatever, and that's all great. But I do think that it's worthwhile to think about what it looks like in action. Yes. Because it changes. You know, I think about, so, you know, my daughters are in their early 20s now. And what it means for me to value our relationship today is really different than when they were toddlers Mm-hmm. You know, it gets acted on. Now it's probably more hands off. And when they were little, it was more hands on. Yeah. So it's just, I think it's worthwhile to really think about what does it look like 
when I'm when my values are in action on an annual I, basis. That's perfect. Yeah. What it does, it goes back to that idea of a value only matters if it is turned into action at T minus zero, the moment mm. of impact, right? Yeah, and right. So two o'clock on a Tuesday or whatever it is, right? That if that doesn't turn into behavior or turn into a decision or turn into action, it's meaningless. So yeah. I, and I appreciate you saying that about the idea of, of kind of the broader values. Another one I see people speak to is faith. Mm-hmm. And I, I am in no way suggesting that that shouldn't be a value. The problem is when we leave it at faith, it's just, well, I'll, you know, I mean, I just, I turn to my faith. Well, what does that really mean? Uh-huh. And what does it actually look like when you're applying that value? Yeah. What people will, if they start asking that question, they might name it something quite different than the vague mm-hmm. value called faith. Yeah. And I think we have T minus zero moments over and over again. So even like you said um, in your example with your colleague, that you had another T minus zero moment on, am I going to make amends? That's another T minus zero. So maybe, maybe the first time around you didn't embody it the way that you wanted to, but once you became aware that you weren't, that's a T minus zero moment and you get the chance to do it over again. Yeah, that's right. Well, I feel like I need to go and review my values. (laughs) (laughs) I have a page full of them. I'll let you circle. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So I appreciate how you've, you know, I can tell that you've really spent a lot of time on this and over time because you've got the examples, you know, you know what happens when we are and when we aren't in alignment, it's not, again, just an intellectual exercise or something that yeah. you facilitate for other people, but that you're actually living it. And then as a result, you show up, Jerry Magar, as aligned and congruent when you're in the front of a room, if you're doing the work on a consistent basis yourself. And this is why you're the facilitator's facilitator and you can tell the truth. And you're in our conversation today, we've seen that self-deprecating humor and humility, and it's just beautiful. And so I just want to thank you for all of that, for all of who you are. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's always a joy to spend time with you. And I've, I've just loved every second of it. So thank you. Thank you. And I will have ways to get in touch with uh, Jerry Magar in the show notes. And uh, I hope you have a wonderful weekend. We're speaking on a Friday afternoon here. And for both of us, it's our last thing of the day. So I hope you have a wonderful Friday evening and a great weekend. Thank you. You too. All right. Take care, everyone. If you like what you heard today, subscribe to Rise Leaders Radio on your preferred podcast platform. Your ratings, reviews, and shares are also really appreciated. You can also visit rise-leaders.com for all the resources we talked about today and to work with me if you're committed to making your unique and positive impact. Thank you for listening and remember, elevate your part of the world. Mm -hmm.